number of books have been written in recent years by people who have clinically died and were revived. Uh, this month's cover article in Christianity Today is entitled, There and Back Again. What are we to make of all of those stories of visits to heaven? I've read one of those books, uh, the New York Times bestseller, 90 Minutes in Heaven, uh, by Don Piper. And I have to say, uh, it's a very compelling read. Uh, in 1989, uh, Don Piper was a young man working on the staff of a church in Houston, Texas. He was going home uh, one afternoon on a narrow two-lane highway in the area one rainy afternoon, and an 18-wheeler truck ran head-on into and over this small Ford Escort that he was driving. Uh, The wreck blocked traffic in both directions, and it took over a half hour for the EMTs, uh, the medical, emergency medical tech text to get to the scene. Uh, when they did arrive, uh, the car was so badly damaged they couldn't get his body out of it. But several of the EMTs confirmed that he wasn't breathing, he had no pulse, and pronounced him dead at the scene. They thought he had been killed instantly. His left leg was almost completely severed from his body. Most of the EMTs left. A couple of others waited for a crew who could cut the car off from around his body. Uh, Ninety minutes later, a pastor named Dick Aneriker that was driving along the highway uh, got stalled in the backup traffic. He got out of his car He walked up to the wreckage, and he was told that the guy in the escort was dead. He didn't believe in praying for the dead, but he felt an irresistible urge to pray uh, for this guy, and he asked permission to approach the vehicle. They finally gave him permission. He walked over to the wreck. He reached in. He put his hand on the body of the dead guy and started praying for him. Prayed at length. Eventually ran out of words and he just thought, well, I'll sing a song. So he started singing the song that came to his mind. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. And then the dead guy sang, what a privilege to carry. Everything to God in prayer. (laughs) People started scrambling. The crew arrived eventually, and they cut him out of this uh, vehicle. uh, And against all odds, they were able to bring him back. Over the next several years, it took 34 surgeries to put his body uh, back together. Four and a half inches of the femur bone in his left leg were missing. 
And there was no medical explanation for why he didn't bleed out in that car being in the wrecked vehicle for over two hours. Well, Don Piper eventually wrote his book uh, because he felt like he needed to describe what he had experienced uh, during that 90-some minutes. And I want to quote just a few sentences of the book. He says, quote, words are totally inadequate to describe my experience. I can't begin to express my feelings of wonder and awe. Never in my happiest moments had I ever felt so fully alive and joy pulsated through me. My most vivid memory, though, is of the most beautiful music that I've ever heard. I call it music, but it differed from anything I've ever heard or ever expect to hear on earth. Christian friends that I'd known who died touched me, and their warm embraces were absolutely real. I knew that I was being led into the very presence of God. But then this pesky pastor walked up and started praying for him. Uh, his heavenly future was interrupted and he came back to life. Uh, he suffered greatly in rebuilding his life, uh, but Piper has now told his story around the world and the book has sold over some two million copies. We're engaged in a six-week teaching series. We're concluding the series this morning called, What is So Good About the Good News? And if you've not been with us, uh, the primary word that the New Testament uses to describe its teaching is simply good news. Uh, the New Testament describes at least six major aspects of this good news. And what Don Piper describes uh, gives us a small glimpse of what the Bible says awaits the, uh, the future and that that's out there in the future of all those who have genuinely believed in Jesus Christ and become his followers. So the sixth and last aspect of our good news uh, is regardless of what you may be experiencing right now, or that you may experience in months or years to come, you as a Christ follower have a very, very bright future. And I want to make three simple points to summarize this aspect of the good news. First, the scripture teaches that as a Christ follower, you have eternal life. Jesus says in John chapter 5 and verse 4, I assure you, those who listen to my words and believe in him who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins. They have already passed out of death and into life. 
And the Greek word for eternal, that's translated eternal here, is uh, ionios. It simply means, it's like the English word definition of eternal, ceaseless, never-ending, lasting forever. Now, of course, that's difficult for us to imagine, uh, but that is the unmistakable and clear teaching of the Bible and this and many other passages. And Jesus also says in John chapter 11, verses 25 and 6, he makes this remarkable statement, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Bit of mystery here in this passage. He says, for all who uh, understand his identity and believe in him, he will live even if he dies. So obviously he acknowledges that death awaits every one of us. In a hundred years, everyone in this room will be uh, deceased. But he says, everyone who lives and believes in me shall in the sense that makes any difference, shall never die. It's an amazing promise. So not only do you have uh, eternal life, you have a very bright future. This cord is really irritating today. Um, Jesus uses some remarkable images to describe the future that awaits us. He does so in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 2. He says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Now, this uh, coming Saturday will be the one-year anniversary of our youngest son's uh, marriage. He married uh, pretty young at 21, but it's a wonderful a Christian girl that we just love. We couldn't possibly be more pleased. They had a beautiful uh, small wedding in Nashville, Tennessee, in the central part of the U.S. Uh, this time last year. And, uh, of course, uh, we helped them with the wedding and with the wedding party, as did her, her parents. But it was one of the two or three most fun wedding parties that I have ever been to. Uh, they really... Her dad was uh, is a doctor, and he has deep pockets, and so they uh, spent some. You know, they really supported her in this. So they they got a really beautiful facility in downtown Nashville, and they hired a really great group, a band. Uh, they had some out excellent food, and all of the friends in both of their lives, all their life, you know, were there. We just had an absolutely marvelous time. A lot of pictures were taken that we still, uh, there's pictures that we will treasure uh, t- until the day that we die. It was an incredible experience. And Jesus uses that very kind of image to describe the climate, the atmosphere, the reality of your future as a Christ follower. He says in Matthew 25, well, he, all those who believe in him and follow him, who open their minds and hearts to him and uh, who diligently follow through on his instruction and direction in life, he will embrace and say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. Let's celebrate. 
What is your image of God? I mean, if you, as you think of it, I mean, what do you think is God's prevailing mood? Well, you know, we may have all kinds of different ideas depending on our background and the teaching that we've received and so on, but this is certainly very encouraging. God is a joyful being. He is uh, full of greatness and glory and creativity and love and kindness, the scripture says, and so we will be invited into his joy interesting passage in Matthew 13. Jesus says the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Uh, We don't know exactly what that means, but it sounds pretty appealing uh, to me. And then we've read this verse uh, before in this series, Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says, God rich in mercy, even when we were dead in our sins because of his great love for us, made us alive uh, together with Christ so that in the ages to come he might reveal to us the surpassing riches of his gracious kindness to us. The, the Bible expands our horizons. It, reveal, it gives us glimpses of these ages of God. I mean, we, we occupy a little brief moment of time The book of James says that our life is like a vapor in a cold morning that appears and then quickly vanishes. But God in his greatness has this unfolding program that we get glimpses into in the teaching of the Bible. And so there will be these unfolding ages to come in which God will employ his great power and creativity and greatness and kindness and create a future for us in which we will be the object of his grace uh, progressively through uh, these periods. And then finally, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, he says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined all that God has prepared for those who love him. Now, Paul, you know, for those of you who have studied the book of the Acts and his letters in the New Testament, you know that his life was not an easy life. Uh, He experienced lots of challenges, lots of problems. Uh, There were people who hated him passionately and resisted his efforts to uh, launch the church in the Roman Empire. All kinds of suffering in his life. But this only served to develop and mature him over time and to deepen his interests and anticipation of the life to come. He said in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 23, he says, I have the desire to depart and be with Christ. For that is very much better. And he says in his letter to the Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthians, he says, I would rather be absent from this body and be at home with the Lord. And I know this is not a statement of morbid depression or fixation on death. Rather, he has gained a glimpse of something that has captured his heart, of a person of Jesus Christ who has so captured his heart and the love of God and of Christ is so p- 
penetrated his mind and heart, that he has gained an understanding of the character of God that has magnetized him in a way that he, he, he just ready to cross the threshold whenever the time is right. Um, I'll never forget in high school, I was a non-Christian, but my mom was a Christian. I didn't become a Christian until late in my college experience. But she used to watch uh, Billy Graham on these television crusades and American television. And occasionally before I was going out on a date or going partying or whatever, I would sit down and watch her uh, or watch along with her these Billy Graham crusades. And I wasn't necessarily particularly interested in, in what he was saying, but I'll never forget one statement that he said that it really stuck with me because I could say, well, that's definitely not my experience. Of course, I was an 18, 19, 20-year-old man at the time. But Billy Graham, at one point, he says that he looked forward to his death with great anticipation. Whoa, now that's a statement. Uh, And I never heard anybody say anything like that. I certainly wasn't um, familiar with the teaching of Paul. I thought, you know, it's it stuck with me. I thought about it some. And, of course, he's just uh, expressing the sentiments of Paul in these passages. Three pieces of good news on, in this aspect of the good news. You have eternal life as a believer and follower of Christ. You have a very bright future. And then, thirdly, there is no need. You have no need to fear death. Now, of course, no one wants to get sick But in the end, the good news is that our death as believers is simply a portal. It's a gate into a life that we cannot imagine, as Paul says. And Howard Hendricks, a famous teacher of a previous generation, uh, often said, we think that we are in the land of the living on our way to the land of the dying. Nothing could be further from the truth. We are in the land of the dying on our way to the land of the living. And when I was in my 20s, I became friends with a couple named Tim and Emily Swinney. Uh, After I'd known them for several years, Tim, uh, who was still in his 20s, and a fine Christian man uh, was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and he died 14 months later. I was living uh, halfway across the United States at the time, and I couldn't get back for the funeral. But I heard from mutual friends and from one of his family members that the last few moments of Tim's life uh, were pretty amazing. And I was, uh, I was curious. So eventually I wrote Emily and I asked if she would mind uh, writing and explaining the details of it uh, to me. And she wrote back to me. And, and I want to read you a part of her letter back to me. I'm going to read at some length, but I think you'll find this uh, very moving. She writes, quote, With the help and prayers of people too numerous to count, we were able to bear the news of Tim's illness. We prayed and fought the cancer and loved each other for 14 more months before Tim's death. We never really gave up hope 
for a reprieve. Tim's last stay in the hospital was for about five days. We knew the nurses from previous stays in the hospital, and they were wonderful and loving to us. It came down to the last day, June 12, 1979. Tim was sleeping most of the time. He never lost his sense of humor. He woke up once and told me that he hadn't seen any bright lights yet. I was reading the Psalms and praying in a little world of my own. Uh, Then Tim slipped into a coma. His eyes remained open, and yet he wasn't responsive. I sat on the bed. I took Tim's hand. I told him how much I loved him and that we would be all right. I told him it was okay for him to go when it was time. As I was sitting there, Two big tears flowed down his cheeks. To me, that was the acknowledgement that he too was sorry, but starting to let go. I then prayed out loud, visualizing Jesus welcoming Tim to heaven with a warm embrace and a celebration parade. I was sitting on the bed, holding his hands, which hadn't moved for many hours. I saw his last breath leave like a tiny wisp. I could hardly believe there was such a small divide between life and death. I asked mom to step out to tell the nurses. After mom left the room, Tim moved. I felt hair rise on the back of my neck. Was he waking up? How could that be? He very deliberately took his hands out of mine and slowly raised them up. I distinctly remember that his fingers were stiff A huge smile came across his face that radiated happiness and glowed with excitement. It was an expression of pure joy. I was 100% sure he was seeing something that I couldn't see. Then slowly, with no rush, Tim's smile faded, his arms slowly lowered to cross over his chest, and his eyes closed. I saw with complete clarity that after his last breath, some kind of door opened for him to step through so he could leave behind his tired, worn-out body. I believe this experience at the moment of Tim's death was really for me. Tim could have been welcomed into heaven with no outwardly visible signs. But seeing it happen with my own eyes, though, was a great comfort and encouragement to me. And I believe God is waiting to give me a warm hug when I leave this life. Tom, I'm so happy you contacted me and asked about our story. It's wonderful to think that it might be helpful to folks in China. 
May grace, peace, and joy abound. Emily. Summary of the good news this morning. The New Testament unmistakably teaches that as a genuine Christ follower, you were chosen before creation to know him and have a meaningful role in his program. He made you spiritually alive when you were spiritually dead and you're now capable of accessing and experiencing his wisdom. He forgave you. He erased all of your guilt. As the song so beautifully said a few moments ago, and he's delivered you from invisible powers of darkness that although they are invisible, their evidence is around us all the time. He transferred you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. So you're now the focus of his eternal kindness. Fifth, he has given you his spirit who will be with you forever as companion, helper, comforter, encourager, and guide. And last, he has created for you a future that is brighter and more wonderful than you can possibly imagine. His favor and his eye is upon you. And if you and I can grasp that and begin to experience the reality of that, it will change us. It will create a loyalty within us for him. His grace will begin changing our hearts so that we cannot help but live for him. We cannot help but seek and desire his wisdom and instruction. And we cannot help but focus and energize and discipline ourselves to the best of our ability to do what he desires. Now the music team is going to come this morning. And uh, we are just going to take about one minute, one or two minutes, uh, and we're uh, they're going to play some just some keyboard music for a moment, and we're going to focus on some of these verses that I have changed a little bit, just in the sense of personalizing them. So as they play, uh, you just uh, reflect prayerfully on these verses that I have rephrase so that instead of it's Paul talking to the Ephesians and so forth, it is Jesus Christ talking to you.